Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Thank you for being here. Thank you to all of you who are watching online. Thank you to Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne for this chance to speak. It's one of my favorite things to do is to open up God's word and say Jesus in a room full of people. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. All right, well, today we are continuing in our two-part series, Hindsight is 2020. Pastor Ron kicked it off last weekend and encouraged us in God's word. Even in the midst of great technical difficulties. Come on, let's put it together for Pastor Ron one more time. I mean, technology can be your friend, but technology at times can be your enemy. But kudos to you, sir, for keeping your composure and for relying on the spirit as we all should. My prayer for today is that we would be led by the spirit Encourage in the reading and the treasuring. Say treasuring. The treasuring of God's word. So let us begin. Hindsight is always 2020. Now, Billy Wilder coined that phrase. I don't know who that is, but in case, if you know Billy, then he's the one that said that. So there's a little fun fact for you. But looking back has generated a lot of quotable quotes. And this particular expression means that it's easier to understand something after it's already happened. In other words, you can see clearer after something has happened. And... Looking back, you, can, you have an opportunity, I should say. You have an opportunity to evaluate the situation, assess the different results, and hopefully gain understanding. And it's that understanding that can be an incredible tool of clarity in moving forward. You with me? All right. So here's a question. When we look back on this year, is there an understanding that we can gain that will help us and serve us well in the future? I think that one of the conclusions that most of us would come to as we look back on 2020 is that this has been a really, really rough and divisive year. It's been a year of Division. For example, in politics, it's a presidential election year. So you have Republicans versus Democrats. And conservatives versus liberals. With the global pandemic, COVID-19, it's been stay home versus reopen. It's been mask wearers and non-mask wearers. With social inequality, it's been silence or protest, order 
versus riots and justice versus injustice. All dividing lines. Lines that create tension. I mean, me simply acknowledging those different perspectives and positions has slightly elevated the tension in this very room. And all I did was mention them. But yes, this year has had a lot. This year has had a lot. But how many of you are thankful that God is still God, God is still sovereign, God is still pouring out his presence, pouring out his love, grace, and mercy. God remains on the throne and he is unmoved. I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Listen, friendships have been lost because of these divisions. Families have been ripped apart. People have lost their job. People are leaving their churches. It's been a crazy year. And we've only, we're only in the seventh month. It's been a crazy, crazy year. So here is what we're going to do today. We're going to do the hindsight thing. We're going to look back in order to learn so that we can move forward in a better way. Why? Because we are the church, and it has to begin with us. It has to begin with us. The church belongs to Jesus. And the last time I checked, Jesus has been and always will be the answer. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching. So they say hindsight is 2020. Well, let's begin to say that hindsight in 2020 has the potential to shape a better future. Come on, somebody. So let's look back. Let's do my favorite kind of hindsight. Let's look all the way back to the days of Jesus. Now, I have been praying for today for a while. And the Holy Spirit has been ringing this one word in my spirit for our time today. And that word is collaborate. Collaborate. So we're going to look at two collaborative interactions today, collaborating with your neighbors and collaborating with God. My hope is that you will see that they go hand in hand. So first up, collaborate with your neighbor. All right. In Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus in his hometown synagogue, reading the prophetic promise of the coming Messiah, the anointed one who would rescue and redeem the world. And as he is reading about the Messiah as described in the scroll of Isaiah, he acknowledges that in their hearing of his reading, that scripture promise is fulfilled. Okay? So in other words, he was saying, I'm the Messiah. And what's fascinating about that is that Jesus doesn't get mobbed right then and there. You see, as you study the life of Jesus, you come to learn quickly that when Jesus says stuff like that, he typically gets mobbed. The religious people lose their minds and they get all angry and they do whatever they can to put a stop to him. Ultimately, 
saying that he was the Christ, saying he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God, is what got him killed. But he knew that would happen. And he still used it to redeem mankind anyways. Come on, somebody. A little praise break right there. You saw it. That was a little praise break. Go Jesus. But here in Luke 4, he does get mobbed eventually, but not after saying that. So let us read it together. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Amen. And that's where you would think he would get mobbed, but it doesn't happen just yet. He actually says something else before they do. Actually, up to this point, they were really impressed with him. Verse 22, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Now let me, let me stop there real quick to acknowledge a powerful thing at play here. On the heels of everyone speaking well of him and everyone being amazed by his gracious words, Jesus had the prime opportunity to ride a wave of pride, power, and popularity. Pride, power, and popularity. You see, Jesus ended up doing the complete unexpected. He forsakes all of that. He forsakes all of that to deliver a hard truth in grace. Now, how many of us would forsake pride, power, and popularity to deliver a hard truth in love? See, when people, when people praise us, when people like our posts, when they comment on our social media feeds, we feel good. We like it. We love that little red badge notifying us of more compliments. We feel good. We feel important. We feel valuable. We feel powerful. We feel needed. We feel loved. We love compliments. And it's hard to forfeit those. But hear me. A life built on compliments 
is an incredibly fragile life. Jesus passed on their praise. I don't know if that's Heisman or a hard pass in basketball. He did it. He passed on their praise. He was there to address a deeper issue, and that issue was division. Back to the text. Verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. Now here goes Jesus prophesying about what's about to go down. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Now he continues from there by choosing to tell two stories from the Old Testament that fly right in the face of their division, their separatism, their discrimination, and their extreme nationalism. All dividing lines that were prevalent and present right here in his hometown. Story number one comes from 1 Kings 17. Jesus recounts that story here in Luke 4, beginning with verse 25. He says, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel. Where? In Israel, in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. So, out of nowhere, Jesus, instead of riding this wave of pride, power, and popularity, he tells this massively disruptive story about God passing over all the Jewish widows in the time of Elijah to go release a miraculous blessing on a foreigner, a Gentile widow from the land of Sidon. Listen, there were many widows in Israel, but God, through Elijah, blessed a foreigner. Stay with me. See, this is the way that I see this moment going down in my mind. The people in the synagogue, right? They went from clapping for Jesus he good. He good. <laughs> to giving him dirty looks. That's how I visualize this. But he's not done. He adds to that story a second story. And that one is from 2 Kings chapter 5. Jesus mentions it here in Luke verse 27. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of prophet Elisha. Where was this? Israel. Okay. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Boom. He was saying of all the people, God might have chosen to heal of leprosy. He chose to heal a foreigner, a Syrian, 
a Gentile who also happened to be the commander of an enemy army. Not a Jew. Can you, can you feel this moment? It's like the air was just sucked right out of that room. Jesus is incredibly brave, so loving, even though they couldn't see it. Jesus was there, and he was addressing a deep and difficult heart issue. You see, God is sovereign over all the earth. His ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts. You see, God had reasons for blessing those two foreigners way back when. Those two foreigners most likely did not look like Jews, act like Jews, talk like Jews, or even believe like Jews. But God healed them. And God had reasons for blessing those two foreigners. And I can guarantee you that one of those reasons was so that Jesus could retell those stories right here in this moment in his hometown for all of them to hear. So question, is it possible that another one of those reasons that God blessed those foreigners long ago is so that the church here in 2020 can hear it too? See, these two stories, they weren't lost on them. This offended every religious and prideful bone in their bodies. Jesus' words attempted to erase dividing lines that they drew around themselves. We read in verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. That might, that might be the first ninja move I've ever heard of. <laughs> but seriously, let's go back to this moment. Think of that level of rage. Think of that level of rage. Think of that blinding commitment to self-made ideals and preferences. This was an outworking of mutated faith. This was an outworking of a mutated belief. And these Israelites, they weren't going to have anyone, not even the author of their faith, say anything to the contrary. Listen, this brings me to my point. Jesus erases dividing lines we draw ourselves. Jesus erases dividing lines we draw ourselves. He does it time and time again. Here's a few examples. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. The beloved story of the Good Samaritan. We love that story. 
Who's the hero of compassion in that story? A foreigner. Someone from Samaria, not Israel, not a Jew, a foreigner. In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, 10, ten, ten, ten lepers get healed. And there's only one grateful one who happens to be a foreigner. Jesus heals these 10 lepers. They're all like, master, master, heal us, please, heal us. And he heals them, right? And then only one of them, the foreigner, comes back to Jesus' feet, falls at his feet, and thanks him for his healing. Jesus was so struck by it. He was like, hey, uh, didn't I heal 10 of you guys? Where are the other nine? That's in there. Mark chapter 7, verse 26. The healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Syrophoenicia is a foreign land. This woman had great faith, and she was a Gentile. She says, Jesus, my daughter is possessed with a demon. She's possessed with a demon. I need your help. Jesus responds. He says, listen, I have to feed the children of Israel first. And then she unleashes this remarkable and faith-filled response. She says, well, even the dogs, referring to herself as a Gentile, benefit from eating the crumbs that fall off the table. Jesus was like, whoa. Your daughter's healed. Thank you. Holy Spirit, make sure Mark writes that down. So good. Another one, Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. The healing of a Roman centurion's servant. Again, great faith in a Gentile. Picture a Roman centurion. There is no clearer picture of an occupying, oppressive, terrorist-like person who doesn't believe in your way of life at all than a Roman centurion. And this Roman centurion says to Jesus, Master, I have this really valuable servant over here. Can you please just speak the word? And I know he will be healed. He says, I'm a man under authority, so I know how it works. I know the power of words. I tell this guy to go over here, and he goes. I tell that guy to come over here, and he comes. I tell this guy to go do this thing, and he does it. I tell that guy to go do that thing, and he does it. I understand the power of words. I'm a man under authority. So please, just speak the words, and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus is floored. He turns around to the disciples. I, I, I tell you, I have not found great faith like this in all of Israel. He said that about a Gentile. And in that same chapter, a few verses earlier, in chapter, excuse me, in verse 3, Jesus touches and heals a leper. The most ostracized and despised people group in all of Israel. These Israelites, they drew a line around themselves and the lepers were way out there. 
It wouldn't have nothing to do with them. And Jesus is like, no, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Race that line, and he walks over to that leper, and he heals him. Jesus touched the leper. Let that sink in. He touched the leper, and he healed him. This is the Jesus that we serve. Jesus is all about erasing dividing lines that we draw ourselves. Jesus was saying, I am bringing a kingdom that is entirely different than what you think or you prefer. It's radically different. He was saying, your chosen place as my Israel has not produced in you humility and compassion. Instead, it's produced pride and scorn. Pride and scorn. And if he said that back then, church, what would Jesus say in this highly divisive year known as 2020? See, regarding our positions or our opinions that we vehemently hold, would Jesus call out any level of pride or scorn in them? In our handling of those things toward other people, just like he did here in his hometown. Listen, amongst those who were supposed to know him best. Now hear me. I am not saying taking a stand on an issue is wrong. That's actually not even close to what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if pride and arrogance are so thick in a stance that you champion... And it leads to scornful behavior towards those who oppose. Let's ask ourselves some hard questions. Is this issue overriding the word of God in my life? Is this issue overriding the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life? Is this issue overriding the character of God within me? Let's ask ourselves some hard questions. Pride and scorn. Jesus came to root that out in this text and in our lives. See, not only are they divisive, they're toxic. And not only do they exist in current cultural hot topics, pride and scorn can exist in the home too. Is it your world and everybody just lives in it? Is it your way or the highway? Do you make your strong preference known for how the money's handled? What's eaten or not eaten in your house? For how your kids are disciplined? For how you all rest? For how you all socialize? For you married folk? How you guys go about your sexual intimacy? What do pride and scorn look like in the home? Cold shoulder, silent treatment, avoidance. Are you moody much? <laughs> Causing people to walk on eggshells around you at a distance as if they were a leper? See, these, to me, are all in the ballpark of pride and scorn. 
Pride and scorn can exist at work too. If you are in a position of authority, do you lord it over your coworkers or your employees? Maybe abuse it even a little bit? That doesn't line up with servant leadership. On the other end of the spectrum, are you an employee who simply thinks the work that you do is beneath you? That if you were in charge, you could do it better? That leads you to produce mediocre work with an attitude that, what's the King James Version? Stinketh. Let's go old school. Pride and scorn are everywhere. I mean, I have to combat this thing in my own life. See, I want to love and serve like Jesus and thereby lead by example. See, if you were sitting at a lunch table with me and you grabbed the last scoop of guacamole... I'm going to have to fight through those flare-ups of pride and scorn and try not to give you the dirty look because all of us had two scoops and you had three. So I have to push myself to offer you a complimentary smile as you enjoy that last bite. Pride and scorn exist everywhere. Pride and scorn can exist here in the church, too. We just read about it. But listen, in whatever position we take, let it always be clear that our position does not tower over our faith and allegiance to Jesus. You see, he is primary. If your allegiance to your position or your opinion towers over, is so strong that it overshadows your allegiance to Jesus and your demonstration of your faith in Jesus toward other people, be careful. You might be trying to throw Jesus off a cliff in that area of your life. So church, let's navigate these days looking to be gracious, humble, compassionate, constructive, engaging, loving, serving, and listening ways. Look for ways to collaborate with your neighbors, especially those who don't think, look, or act like you. This is the way of Jesus' kingdom. And hear me, church, you are called to be people of the way. Look at it this way. Jesus still came to his hometown, knowing full well what he would say and do, knowing full well how they would respond, and yet he still came and he still spoke. It was a hard act of love. It's hard combating pride. It's especially difficult rooting out pride within ourselves. But it was a must for Jesus. He had to go to his home, hometown, or excuse me, his boyhood home. <laughs> he had to go there to say what he said. 
Why? Because he loves us that much. And pride is on the list of things that God hates, not once, but twice. I, for one, am grateful. I'm grateful that the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for us believers too. We need the gospel every day. Let's be captivated by the mercy of God. And from that place, let mercy flow to, uh, flow to our neighbors. Collaborate with your neighbor. Second and final point. Collaborate with God. As you work to collaborate with your neighbor, it is paramount that you recognize that you cannot do any of that without first collaborating with God. You see, in collaboration with God, it can be easy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And one way to go about it, and this is a unique way to go about it, is to acknowledge the glory in the contrasts. Hmm. Follow me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Do you see the glory in the contrasts? Faith in Jesus is not a physical procedure. It's a Christ-authored spiritual procedure. You were buried, but because of him, you've been raised to new life. And if you are still unclear, you were dead. Then God made you alive with Christ. This is the glory of contrasts. You see, God has made a way for us where there was not a way. Therefore, he is deserving of all of our praise and all of our honor because we started with nothing. But in Jesus, with Jesus, because of Jesus, through Jesus, we have everything. His glory shines exceedingly bright in these contrasting words. It shines bright in these words. See, when you acknowledge the power and the beauty within these words, you'll see the glory of God. You'll see the glory of God. You'll know of your desperate need for him. You'll acknowledge that God alone is the author and the finisher of your faith. You'll be saturated 
saturated in the revelation of his goodness that will penetrate your soul. From there, you'll drown in an endless sea of thankfulness and be able to breathe his life and his freedom. You'll celebrate his mercies forever and your complete satisfaction will be found in him. Hear me, church. Hear me, friends. Hear me, family. It's from this place of absolute contentment in God, satisfaction in God, from which you will best glorify Him, from which you will best collaborate with Him, from which you will best collaborate with your neighbor. See, you'll be enthralled with His beauty and His love and His goodness, and you'll carry that wherever you go to whomever you meet in every collaboration that you have. Why? Because he'll be preeminent in your life. He'll be on the forefront of your mind and you'll never want to tuck him away because the reality will be is that you won't be able to get enough of him. He's that good. He's endless. His goodness is unsearchable. His love is vast. His love is indescribable. And he's offered it to you. That's the glory of contrasts. This is how you collaborate with God. Simply have faith that he has done it all. And let that indescribable news soak your entire being. And produce worship and obedience to him. Amen? Amen. I want to invite you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to speak to you with as little distraction as possible. If in the hindsight we have performed today, looking back on Jesus and noting what he has emphasized as important and the lengths that he went to, to uproot pride and scorn. If you're sitting here or watching online and you've reflected on your actions thus far this year or maybe even your actions just this week and you're saying to yourself, I don't want an inkling of pride or scorn in my life. God, I know I could have responded better in that situation. God, I know what thoughts I truly had when I saw someone who doesn't think or act like me. I don't want any residue of pride or scorn in my life. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hands with the boldness that Jesus showcased when he came to his boyhood home because I want to release a prophetic prayer over you. Hands all across this auditorium raised in recognition of the power and the anointing of God, the pursuit of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want to pray. We've looked back. 
We've evaluated and we've gained understanding, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We want to move forward in a better direction. So I want to pray. Father, you went to incredible lengths. Jesus, you risked your life in your boyhood home to uproot pride and scorn. They are foul to you. And God, as we have taken the time and the opportunity to reflect back on this year, we know your Holy Spirit is showing us of missteps along the way, places where we didn't represent you as well as we could have. So we receive and acknowledge your sweet conviction. And I prophesy right now by the powerful name of Jesus that scales are falling off of eyes, that deaf ears are beginning to hear. I'm prophesying that we as the people are moving forward in a better way. I'm prophesying that we as the people have gained understanding in the likeness and character of the Almighty God. I'm prophesying that we're going to move forward from this point as better ambassadors of the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you penetrate our hearts, that you don't leave any stone unturned, that the molding and shaping and the transforming us into the image of your likeness is a thorough work. We receive it now and we bless you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's lift up a shout. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, one last thing before we go. In rightly handling the word of God, I must tell some of you in here and some of you watching online that there is one dividing line that Jesus will not erase. And that's the line when it comes to faith in him. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. With heads bowed once again, believers across the room, I ask you to pray. If you don't know Jesus personally today, let me tell you that loving Jesus is why you were born. Loving Jesus is why you were made. Loving Jesus is why you were created. Loving Jesus 
is key. In this passage that we just read, he's not downplaying familial love. He's catapulting where love for him should rightfully be. Actually, loving him enhances and completes your love relationships in your life. He is primary. He is God. And God is love. And God loves you. So if you're sitting in this room or if you're watching online, go ahead and type in the chat, pray for me. If you're sitting in this room and you don't know Jesus, there is one line in the sand that cannot be erased because we didn't draw it. He drew it. But thankfully, the good news is that God made a way for you to step over that line into a right relationship with God. And that way has a name. That way is Jesus. So with heads bowed, believers praying, remembering the excitement of the day that Jesus saved them. Praying and believing that you'll experience the best day of your life. If that's you in this place, if you want to know Jesus, it'd be an honor for me to introduce you. So simply raise your hand and let me pray for you so that you could come to know the love that is God, the love that is Jesus. Amen. I see your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray. I want to invite you to repeat after me, sir. God, actually, I'm going to invite the entire congregation to repeat after me. God, thank you for Jesus. I acknowledge my sins and I acknowledge my faults. I know that I need you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Mold me and shape me into a new creation. I thank you for what you did on the cross. Accepting the punishment for my sin. And then you rose from the grave. Conquering sin, death, and the grave. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that for me. I pray that you would lead me in this newfound relationship I have with you. I'm looking forward to better days ahead because of you. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give it up. Thank you, church. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.